Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. Hi guys, welcome back to another full-length episode of the Beyond Fit podcast. Today's episode is called Notes on Macros and Mindset with Jake Parker. So obviously, this is just a solo episode today. I have been prospecting as well as postponing, unfortunately, with a couple of guests, but I am happy to be doing this episode for you today, just on a couple of the principles that I have, things that I think about very often in the context of my own life and my own health and fitness and what makes me beyond fit in terms of, yes, of course, having a healthy and fit body and looking the way I want to, but also being able to cultivate the right mindset, being able to cultivate happiness and prosperity and discipline. So to start out, going to go with the more pragmatic and actionable form of the podcast about the macros. And then the latter half will be all about a couple of mindset things that I've been thinking about as of late. So the first thing with macros here, and just a short definition for those of you unfamiliar, need a refresher, macros is short for macronutrients and is proteins, carbs, and fats, or the types of food your body requires in large amounts of the diet, in the diet. In addition, we have micronutrients. Those are things like vitamins and minerals, things that we need in small trace amounts in the diet. But the only three things that are in this macro category are proteins, carbs, and fats. And additionally, you will sometimes see alcohol included in here because alcohol also can make up a large percentage of calories. And sometimes that can be referred to as the fourth macronutrient. But essentially, the macronutrients add up in different calories they contain per gram, And that is how many calories you will consume on any given day. So one thing that I've changed my mind about recently when it comes to macros is I guess, first of all, I've been less and less focused on tracking macros and counting macros. I've been doing training for a half marathon that I have coming up at the end of the month, this month, September. And so my nutrition has been a lot more intuitive. Sometimes I feel like I need more food because I have some weightlifting as well as a run and yoga all throughout the course of a week, usually not more than hardly ever more than two of those on one single day, but it's a lot more exercise I'm expecting of my body recently. And so I feel like I need to consume more calories to account for that. And again, it's just not something I really feel the need to track, especially because a lot of the meals I eat are so similar. And so oftentimes I know if I eat these three relatively balanced meals that I'm usually going to eat throughout the course of a day in terms of they're all going to have some carbs, fat, and protein in about the amount I I'm wanting, which basically will include anywhere from 700 to 1100 calories. And there's going to be 50 grams or more of protein. And the rest of those calories are going to come from a mix of carbs and fat. That's something else I'm going to touch on here soon. But one thing I've changed my mind on for clients, especially, and people that are having trouble with 
excess fat gain, putting on fat gain when they don't want to is just how helpful it can be to aim a little bit higher with your protein intake. So the general protein intake guideline is about one gram per pound of body weight. This, I think you could take even a little bit higher. Again, like I said, if extra body weight is a big factor for you, or if keeping fat off is really difficult, or you're just in a diet and looking to stay more full and looking to try to control calories um, innately, whether that, rather than just having to strictly count them and track them, eating higher protein intake than one gram per pound of body weight. And you might have read about this in my newsletter. If you're subscribed to that, that is actually linked in the Instagram bio at jakeparker.fit if you're not. But I was talking about that. And this came from looking at a video from Alan Aragon, who's someone that you should check out on Instagram. He's a researcher, um, someone who I believe should be coming on the podcast within the next few months. But he was making the point that with higher protein diets, about 1.1, 1.2, up to 1.4, 1.5 grams of protein per pound of body weight will make it a lot more difficult for you to store fat because you would have to be adding fat from fat and carb sources in your diet. You can't strictly add fat just from overeating protein. Now, that being said, it's all about the calories in, calories out equation at the end of the day. So if you're consuming 300 grams of protein, but you're also consuming a calorie surplus of say 3,500 calories, just for example, you are still going to be able to put on fat. It's just going to be fat that's coming from um, carbs and fats and not from protein. Protein is not going to be something that's going to be metabolized into fat in the context of a diet that is not having a surplus of calories. So it doesn't defy the traditional thermogenic logic that we know that I talk about calories in calories out. If you want to be losing weight, if you want to be losing fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit, eating less than your body burns. And if you want to be putting on weight, putting on muscle, you have to be eating more calories than your body burns. But the eating a high protein diet makes this inherently more difficult because you're just not going to be as hungry for other foods. Protein is inherently so satiating, so filling that it is going to neutralize the overeating of other macronutrients often. And Alan points to studies in which this is true and thinks that these studies may even be underestimating the power of a really high protein diet, because oftentimes when people report their macronutrient intake independently, when they're not just subjects in a lab study or something like that, they may be underreporting the amount of protein they're eating. So they estimated it to be 250 grams a day, really it's closer to 220, 210, something like that. So I think that if you're someone who struggles with keeping body fat off or someone who's trying to diet right now, or someone who may just be interested in how it will impact your body eating a little bit higher protein diet, because that can be shown to possibly help muscle mass a little bit more. Typically, I think that studies will show muscle mass will be just about maxed out at that one gram per pound of body weight, but potentially you could see a little bit more benefit uh, going up higher than that, depending on the individual. So if that's something you want to try for any of those reasons, I think that that is a good idea. And I personally, um, as far as back into my own life and my own nutrition, again, I have been maybe eating more so along the lines of 0 0.7, 0 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight, just because I'm having to eat so many more calories than I'm typically used to. So basically it's kind of the opposite rule here because I'm wanting to eat more calories to fuel my training, to fuel my yoga running and weightlifting. I'm eating less protein. So I'm a little bit more hungry. So obviously just think about how that's the opposite of what I'm saying with the higher protein diet 
if you're trying to focus on fat loss, eating less calories, eating less overall. The caveat to the chasing high protein is again, sometimes it's just underreported because protein is so much harder to come by and protein is often underreported just by way of you had six ounces of meat instead of having eight ounces like you thought. Um, oftentimes people will not realize that, for example, an eight ounce raw chicken breast will be about six ounces when it's cooked. So not factoring in something like that can make your numbers kind of fudged. And another detriment in chasing high protein is if you're just going after protein, going after protein, this is something I've talked about before, foods that we may see as high protein, such as beef, such as some cuts of chicken, a lot of like cuts of meat come to mind, bacon, stuff that yes, it does have high protein to some extent, but it also has a lot, a lot of calories from fat. So it can just lead to a vast overconsumption of calories, which again, is the number one thing you're trying to avoid. So be cognizant of just going after foods that you think are high protein, but not actually understanding how lean they are in terms of how many of their calories really come from protein. When I'm thinking about a food that's going to be, I'm going to consider a lean source of protein, I'm thinking 60 to 70% at least of the calories from that are coming from protein and not from other macronutrients. So for example, beef that is 93% lean, 7% fat, barely uh, makes this cut. I, I would probably give it the nod because it's in the high 50s, like 56%. Um, but beef that is 85% lean, 15% fat is not going to make this cut because there's 22 grams of protein and 17 grams of fat in a four ounce serving. So meaning a lot more of the calories come from fat. So that's just something to keep in mind as far as not just grabbing for any food that intrinsically seems like it would be high protein. This is where, and a conversation I've had a lot with clients is protein powder becomes so useful for something not just to use around before and after a workout, because protein powder can be such a great supplement to a low protein meal, something maybe like a meal out that's not going to have a lot of protein. Maybe you have like a sandwich or something, and that's going to be lacking in protein because you only have lunch meat for a, a protein serving. Maybe you're just going to have a 50 gram protein shake for a snack, and that's going to help supplement a low intake or a lower than ideal intake for the rest of the day. So protein powder is very useful here for helping to achieve these macronutrient goals, especially if you're chasing that, that higher protein. Don't discount that as something that is only used for and around workouts, because that's really mostly just marketing jargon and marketing hype that's telling you, you know, there's that anabolic window. Again, that's something I've discounted on the podcast, but don't look to much at that anabolic window about having to get that protein or those nutrients in within X of your workout, 30 minutes, an hour, 45 minutes, just focus on having a meal before or after within three hours of your workout. That's what we call the peri workout window, which has been proven to be effective. If you get the nutrients in at some point before or after the workout within three hours. So not as big of a deal to just shove that protein intake in right after your workout as it's been believed in the past. As far as carbs and fat, I started to touch on this. Um, a lot of times there's argument over after you consider how much protein you're going to eat, should the rest of the calories come more from carbs or fat? And I'm of the belief that this is something that really doesn't matter much. It seems to get really overblown. Um, people will say and correctly that you need a certain amount of carbs to fuel your workout performance. And that's true. But really all I've noticed is that you need to be 
just a handful of carbs over that ketogenic bar, typically for a reasonably sized person, that's going to be 40 to 50 grams of carbs for a male, 30 to 40 grams of carbs for a woman to reach that ketogenic state. And so usually about double that or so is going to give you enough carbs to not really feel like you're dragging through a workout, say that you have like one 45 to maybe at most hour 30 uh, workout a day. Now, if you have multiple workouts a day, or if you're someone who's really pushing concurrent training and you're doing some cardio and some weightlifting, or maybe you do a sport or some other type of class, then some more carbs are going to be helpful and are going to be necessary. But for me uh, at about 185 pounds throughout the year, I noticed that if I have at least 80 to hundred carbs, it's not ideal. I'm going to feel a little bit better off some more carbs, but I'll be fine. And I'll be okay. If the rest of those calories come from fat, just because say, that's the way that it works out based on where I can eat that day. Uh, what I can eat that day, if I'm eating with family or eating at some sort of a uh, function or some sort of thing where everyone's eating together. Um, but that being said, ideally, and this is something I would definitely put a big asterisk on because it's really, I don't think as important as some other people would say and would have you believe, but carbs are going to be a little bit better for athletic performance and for building muscle, for reducing cortisol levels and keep your body um, in a more ideal state for building muscle. Even recovery can be shown to be a little bit better with high carb diets, but really it just comes down to thinking about how you're going to manage your calorie intake. And I think that when viewed from that angle, it just comes down to figure out how much protein you're going to eat, figure out how to get that protein and figure out what you want your calories to be and let the calories from carbs or fat fall where they may within that calorie target. Um, Unless you are really worried about you know, going too low with those carbs, like I mentioned there, that's really the only thing that I'd worry about. Um, another detriment to eating too little fat can be that it's harder to get a good pump. So again, like I said, it's better for building muscle to have higher carbs. Sometimes it's easier to get a good pump and really feel like you're vital and feeling good and feeling strong and feeling prepared during a workout. Um, so notice that think about how this takes place in your own life. Think about how relevant this is to you. Everybody's going to vary a little bit based on individual, but that has been my experience with trying to flesh out higher carb or higher fat for the remaining portion of the calories I'm going to intake. It's not seemed to be as big of a deal as, as some other evidence-based practitioners that I've seen talk about it may, may make it seem. And then the last thing I wanted to mention here, as far as, especially if you're someone who is going to be varying your carb and fat intake quite frequently, as far as which one is going to take up the majority of your remaining calories after protein. Um, Sometimes you're going to see more fluctuations in weight and scale weight. And the thing I would say here is don't ever worry that in a day or a couple days, a significant amount of weight, a pound, two, three pounds is going to be fat. That's really not possible. When you think about the fact that you're going to be burning at least even the smallest person from your basal metabolic rate. And if you're exercising and getting around on a daily basis, you're going to be burning at least a couple thousand calories. So to even put on one pound of fat in one day, if you burn 2000 calories is going to require about 5,500 calories that you're taking in because it takes 3,500 calories to build one pound of fat. So it's really, really hard to be able to eat that much in one day and put on fat at that rate. Often if your weight is going up, that's maybe 10 to 20% fat gain. And the rest of that weight is going to be stored water and glycogen in the muscles. 
glycogen is the byproduct of carbs that you take in. So the more carbs you have, the more glycogen you're going to have in your muscles. And again, that speaks to the getting a good pump and feeling healthy and vital and strong during your workouts. But sometimes that glycogen and water just filling up your muscles and you're taking in and keeping in more of that based on water retention and different things that go into that. Um, no scientist, I'm no expert, but a lot of times there are certain variables that will make you hold on to more water, hold on to less water. So that'll make the scale go up or down. Often you may notice that when you're dehydrated, say after a lot of exercise or after a night of drinking or something like that, you're going to weigh less. Food volume in your stomach can weigh you down. So if you've not had a bowel movement, if you ate, you know, you had some sort of a cheat day and ate a high volume of food, or you just ate a lot of like, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and meats and food that is just high volume innately that can make you weigh more. Um, and then I guess I wrote down water retention here again, but that kind of goes in line with the glycogen storage and just the overall storing water, glycogen, food volume, food byproduct in your stomach, in your body. It's not likely going to be much fat gain, more than 10, 20%, maybe 30% if you really overdid it. Um, so that's something else you'll experience if you are bearing that carbon fat intake, like I tend to do. The last thing I wanted to mention here, as far as macros is something that clients also, all, excuse me, often find useful that I'll tell them is to try to find some power meals that work for you. And when I talk about power meals, I would define those as meals that we land on as ideal for the individual after taking into consideration what macronutrients we want to hit throughout the day, the ease of preparing or obtaining the meal. Can you cook it efficiently at home? If you work from home, can you grab it quickly when you're on the go? If you are often on the go or you work from an office or something and you don't want to bring food. And another thing I would think about here is this is one of the big benefits to finding a few key recipes that you really like to cook or just a few key things that you really like to go and get when you're out to eat. Maybe it's a certain meal at Chipotle or someplace like that. I think that one thing I've tried to communicate with listeners of this podcast, clients, people that I am talking about um, nutrition with is that when you break down the meal plan versus macro groups, and I, I would say that that's less of an argument and less of a thing than it used to be in the past, but it used to be, especially in like the early 2000s, when I was learning a lot about bodybuilding and nutrition and exercise nutrition a lot of times people said you have to eat certain foods, you have to eat a certain meal plan, eat certain things at certain times. And really, I think where that was misguided is, yes, that was a plan that was able to adhere to and follow a macronutrient intake because you're eating similar things or maybe the same thing every single day. And so they were following macros without really focusing on macros. How macros came along and kind of gained steam is that people realized oh, you can kind of eat whatever you want as long as you kind of do the math and help it fall into these parameters. So I think the ideal thing to do is kind of have a meal plan, but also pay attention to your macros too, especially on those days where you're eating something that's, that's a little bit different. Um, but I found it very useful to, like I said, have these power meals, something that I know for breakfast might be eggs, oatmeal, and some whey protein with my oatmeal. I know that that's going to fall just about perfectly into the macronutrient intake I want for a meal, especially for a breakfast meal. And then for lunch and dinner, often it's going to be something like uh, chicken cooked in olive oil with some rice. So I got fat, carbs, and protein in the substantial amount that I want. Or maybe it's um, some ground beef with a sweet potato. Usually sweet potatoes are going to give me a little bit less carbs than rices. So I might add some butter to those. 
to make up for the calories by adding some fat. This type of stuff becomes really useful and it becomes, it makes um, macro tracking be less of something that you have to do every day. That's something like I said, that you kind of fall into that kind of gets to fall in line. And also noting that it can be really useful to think, okay, if I'm going to have a few drinks at night, if I'm going to have a big dessert, going to go out for ice cream with my girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, family that you can think, okay, I'm just going to take away, say the rice with lunch or the potato and butter with dinner and knowing that that's going to be three or 400 calories that you would normally consume and you can make room for it in another way. And so again, going back to uh, the way that we think about macros traditionally. Um, as far as power meals, one of the really important things I think is just to enjoy the meal itself. And because you don't want to eat something on a regular basis that even if it falls perfectly within your macros and, you know, has some vegetables and, and even if it makes you feel great, I don't think that you should eat that or prioritize that if it's something that you hate, that you just think is disgusting, because that is usually only going to last so long. There's so much benefit in just doing your research on what foods taste good, how to, how to prepare certain foods, how to mix certain foods, how to mix spices and how to get the right amount of salt and how to cook things to an appropriate temperature and an appropriate tenderness. And this stuff can take a little while to learn, but if you want to put forth the effort to, you know, kind of dial this in over the course of a few months or maybe shorter or longer based on how much focus you want to give it, it's really a skill that you can use for the rest of your life. So that's something that I highly encourage. And again, if convenience is your number one priority, just look at a couple of fast food-ish meals you can eat. You know, I'm not saying go eat McDonald's, but places like Chipotle, Pepper Jack's, a sandwich place isn't a bad option. Places like that are going to have meals that could fall within your appropriate macronutrient intake and fall in line with your goals. So that is another thing to think about if you're not as worried about saving money and just want convenience. The next thing here, the latter half of the podcast is some notes on mindset. So of course, mindset, if you know me, is something I, I think about a lot. And mainly these are just things that I try to think about every day or that I notice um, dragging me down when I don't focus on them enough. The first thing is just trying to do difficult things every day. One of the little clickbaity sort of lines I thought of to, I thought I might put this in the title, but was just the, the hidden benefit of cold showers. So a lot of people think that cold showers may offer this benefit in terms of recovery or something like that. And something that I'll be honest, I looked into for a while, but basically came to the conclusion that most people's showers aren't going to get cold enough, um, nor are most people going to stay in the shower for long enough for that cold to have any sort of like recovery or stimulus benefit. But the reason that I like to take cold showers and the reason that I've made it something that I do just about every morning is that I think making hard choices is kind of like a muscle you can exercise just like you may exercise the muscles you work when you get your deadlift heavier or you squat often, or you figure out how to bench press better. You enhance the muscles that you use frequently. So for me, getting into a cold shower, like I said, it strengthens that muscle to do things I don't want to do, to persevere, to do the hard thing, take the difficult path. There's a couple quotes about this I really like. One is from Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, do one thing every day that scares you. I really like that. I really like that notion there. And from Seneca, one of the Stoic philosophers, we have the quote, we are more often frightened than hurt and we suffer more from imagination than from reality. 
So one thing that doing stuff like cold showers teaches me is that once I get in there and I'm in there for a few seconds, it's really not that bad and I adjust. And so I think that that's a lesson with any of the things you don't want to do in life as well. It's helped me with business. It's helped me with self-confidence, with dating, with my fitness journey, you know, continuing to get stronger and pursue other things like my half marathon training and just get better at any physical, mental, spiritual pursuit. It's always made easier by being able to do the things you don't always innately want to do a little bit quicker and with a little bit more vigor. This extends into every area of your life. It's made it easier for me to continue to pursue stand-up comedy and improv. And I think those things obviously also can help me a lot in making other difficult decisions. I think that I'm the type of person and, you know, listening to this podcast, I'm sure you share this value to some extent where I want my hobbies to serve me in more ways than just being enjoyable. Of course, that's important, but uh, hobbies like stand-up and improv to me are another opportunity to practice doing things I don't necessarily want to do, but that I know are going to better me in the long run. And I know that just plunging in and that lesson I learned from that cold shower, just plunge in and it'll be over quickly. Um, those things extend to stuff that you might want to do that's going to be long-term gratification focus, but is, is difficult to get into. Very similar to how it felt when you started working out, or maybe you can resonate if you're just starting a, a workout routine right now, or if you're struggling to maintain your workout routine. Another big part of my mindset is I'm always trying to focus on, and this is one of my affirmations for this year, was to love myself. So my affirmation was, I love myself, which I know sounds kind of hippy dippy and silly, but really it's helped me a lot to prioritize making decisions that are right for me, saying no to other people, which is so important. Doing things kind of like I said, with a cold shower, they're not immediately pleasurable. Focusing on myself and kind of having that enlightened selfishness that I know that because I'm taking the selfish path at some points to take care of myself, my body, my mind, my spirit, I'm going to be better able to serve other people. We all know those people who burn out because they just do too much for others and they're too giving and they're always saying yes to every single thing, no matter how tired they are or worn down their body or mind is. And that unfortunately is never going to last. If you want to have a healthy body and in addition, that healthy mind that makes you beyond fit, you have to love yourself. You have to put yourself first so that you can better serve other people and you have to have a good relationship with yourself. And that way you can be someone who is confident without being cocky as well. You're just going to make you someone that is magnetic. You're going to be able to get more opportunities. You're going to take more opportunities because you have this self-fulfilling prophecy of confidence. And that's something that has been a really, really big benefit to me too, that I would encourage anyone to take the time to focus on. It takes a long time, but it's something that you'll definitely see the benefits of compound. Um, a third thing here, as far as mindset, and this is one I, I always try to hammer as well, but just it's so important to get good sleep. And I often talk about how important that is physiologically for the body to remain healthy in terms of body composition, um, not storing body fat, being able to put on muscle mass. But additionally, it's really important in terms of just staying mentally stable, staying happy, staying positive, staying focused and disciplined. Sleep really just pulls on all sorts of levers when it comes to really every part of our lives. I was just reading the book by Ryan Holiday, Stillness is the Key, and he was talking about the importance of sleep in that book in Finding Stillness and cited a study in, done in 2017 that found that sleep increases the negative, or sorry, lack of sleep increases negative repetitive thinking. 
So when you abuse the body, the mind tends to abuse itself as well and kind of fall into that negative cycle, that self-feeding cycle. So many things that I talk about and that I think about in my daily life come down to either positive or negative cycles. If you talk badly about yourself, that can become a cycle. It can be just the, the habits that you attain. Um, it can become the routine that you have with yourself. But the same thing with talking positively, with exercising and not exercising, with going out and doing things that challenge you and not doing those things. Whatever you do, you're going to tend to gain momentum on and do more of. So that is just where the importance of healthy habits and discipline and focus and trying to build proper routines comes in. And I think that not to be overlooked, another one of the things I try to talk about on the podcast a lot is just the importance of not relying on motivation and really just relying on the ability to develop habits and to develop routines because so often that's what's going to save us in the moments that we aren't motivated to do the right thing, to do the thing that's going to serve us, to go and get that workout in or do whatever we're trying to do to move ourselves forward interpersonally. Um, my big sleep tips, again, I uh, apologize if you've heard these before, but go to bed with regularity. So get up and go to sleep around the same time every day. Sleep in a cold, dark room. Don't do anything else on your bed besides sleep if you can help it. If you're in there doing work, watching TV, doing something that's stimulating, it's harder for your body to connect the bed with a place of sleep and rest. Regular exercise and fresh air and sunlight is something that'll help a lot to get asleep to sleep at night if going to sleep at night is something that is difficult for you. And avoiding blue light in the last couple hours before bed, whether that be just shutting off devices and reading or something, or if you are going to be on devices, I often am at night watching a little TV to unwind or something, I will put on my blue light locking glasses. As far as avoiding caffeine, this is something I've become more educated on recently. The fact that caffeine really can take up to 11 to 14 hours to fully metabolize out of your system based on the individual. So I've started to cut off caffeine intake afternoon, just because even if you're not feeling those effects of the caffeine at night, it can still be disrupting your sleep. And it can be one of those, again, one of those cycles that you fall into where you're drinking more caffeine because you're tired in the morning, you're drinking it later in the day, and then you can't go to sleep because you've drank too much caffeine. So a little bit of focus on getting out of that pattern can go a long way and just helping you feel more rested and getting into more deep sleep at night. Uh, the last two things as far as mindset here are, I have noticed the benefit of prioritizing my low information diet, which Tim Ferriss first mentioned in the four hour work week is where I read about the low information diet, but essentially it's just, as Tim says, cultivating selective in ignorance and not following the constant news cycles and the constant social media buzz every minute of your day. It does so much for creating a still mind for being able to be creative and have genuine thoughts and be kind to yourself in the way that you talk and be less fearful and be less stressed. There's just so many benefits to that. I've noticed to this. And sometimes I get pushed back from friends and other people that say, well, don't you feel like you're uninformed? Don't you feel like that's irresponsible? And maybe to some extent, but I think often if something is important enough, you'll have conversations about the things that are happening and you'll become informed by way of, of secondhand, I suppose. And in addition to that, I think that it's worth the focus in really, I wouldn't say isolating yourself is the right word, but in really guarding yourself from all the trials and tribulations of the day-to-day -day world, because there's just so much bad in the world. You have to focus on the immediate things that you can control if you're going to make a positive impact on people and be someone that people look to for 
stillness, for advice, for just a a leader. You know, that's someone who who you are. If if you're listening to this podcast, I believe. Um, the last thing is just to I kind of touched on social media there with the low information diet, but really work on staying off social media. I noticed that the days that I'm on social media within an hour or two of waking up, I feel so much less productive and so much less happy than the days that I push off three, four or five hours before I get on social media. Um, one big thing that helps with this is to start off the day by not looking at my phone for the first hour, whenever I can help it, maybe two, three hours if, if I'm really in a good groove or if I'm really up early enough and don't have any reason to. Um, but other things that have helped me recently, logging off all social media platforms whenever I'm not using them, that kind of gives me that added barrier to just mindlessly scrolling. And then also setting time limits, which is something you could do in the settings of your iPhone. If you're an iPhone user, I'm sure you can find the same thing on Android, but setting time limits that Yes, they're easy to get past and often I just ignore them and get past them. But again, I think that one of the big things you have to look at to stopping these negative patterns that you have, for me, it's being on my phone too much and social media too much sometimes. You just have to add more barriers to getting into the apps that are addicting to you. Um, I know some people go as far as not getting on social media on their phone. I've not gone that far yet, but I just know that I'm so much more happy when I'm not taking in a bunch of excess information and my mindset is so much more clear. Like I said, I'm happier. I'm more creative. I'm able to come up with newer ideas and just be a more productive person in my relationships, in my friendships, in my work, and in every single part of my life. So I hope that was informative. I know that some of you might have resonated more with the uh, pragmatic and analytical first part. Some of you might have resonated more with the esoteric and kind of out there second part on mindset, but I hope that everyone listening took something away and I hope that you will reach out to me if you have anything to say about the podcast today or anytime, anything you want to add, anything you want to request as far as having uh, something discussed on here or a specific guest or just any question you have, you can always reach out to me by email jrparker95 at gmail.com or on my Instagram at jakeparker.fit. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it and thank you personally on there.